Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to the first tripe supper in what is an absolute age, although we do seem to start every tripe supper with that, or we have done recently, so... It's shocking to think that we were told that we had to stop because we didn't have the equipment to make us professional enough. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Professional, that's a new one, I know. Well, little little did we think the last uh, tripe we recorded, that the next one back we'll be discussing a virus that has swept the nation and ground football to a halt. Um, it is an unprecedented situation. This has been recorded Monday lunchtime, so we obviously have no idea uh, what's going to happen next. I can't see anything changing by the time this goes out, which is planned for Tuesday night, but if it does, just bear that in mind. Um, Vic, Phil, the EFL released a statement on Monday saying that they can't give a running commentary uh, and they can't respond to every possible solution that's been discussed, of which there has been many, everything from behind closed doors games to cancellations, as Karen Brady pointed out, um, to, to extending the season deep into the summer. The, the latter seems most likely to me. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't think you can call it because it's all been driven by external politics. Uh, it's only what it was on Thursday when Prime Minister stood up and said there'd be no disruption of sporting events. That was reiterated in a statement by uh, uh, by the Prime Minister's office at nine o'clock on Thursday night, and by half past, Mikel Arteta tested positive, and, and suddenly football just disintegrated in the space of an hour. The following morning, uh, uh, there's a Chelsea player tested positive. An hour later, three Bournemouth players, and then it seems almost inevitable then that football was going to be put into isolation, whether or not the politicians wanted it or not. Uh, the other external force, obviously, is that what UEFA might decide, because if UEFA uh, cancel uh, the Euros, which looks very sensible, you can't have people tra- traipsing all over Europe, uh, that could create a framework f- uh, to finish the season in some form. But we don't know yet. And I think as a minor party in all these machinations. I think the Football League are going to be driven by what the big boys decide. Do you, do you, because that was certainly the case. The EFL and the Premier League have been united, haven't they, so yeah, far? Yeah. Understandably so. I mean, the fact that National League went ahead and at the weekend was, was utterly bizarre. I mean, there was games being postponed there, but now before kick-off, because yeah. players were showing signs of symptoms on the way. Um, the, April the 4th feels optimistic to me, Phil, as a return date. Yeah, I think it's hugely optimistic. I mean, if for, for ev- all the evidence we've seen, you know, in Europe, in Italy, in Spain, you know, there's a, there's a, there's much worse to come in terms of numbers, and there's no way you can resume football when the when this this issue is reaching what you de- describe as a peak in terms of new cases and 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 and, and um, fatalities and things like that. And obviously, we know football is just a in these. In these circumstances, it's just, you know, in some respect, meaningless to, to, to life and death situations. I think Vic's right. It's going to be outside influences that call it. Um, it's just it's just a mess, isn't it? If, if nobody, It's nobody's fault. It's just it is what it is, as, as Tony Mowbray would say. Um, I can't see any situation where they can play football before, what, middle of May? At the year, absolute earliest. We're in the middle of March now. That, that gives us eight, eight or nine weeks 
um, for, for, for the situation to, to, to progress. And I'm not sure how quickly these things burn themselves out. It can be weather-related. I, I understand from, from what I've read that th- this type of flu could be less serious in warm weather, like a lot of um, different types of flu. Um, and then, But the implications are, as we've, 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 we've touched on, if the season goes beyond the end of June, there are massive ramifications in terms of contracts, um, you know, players. You know, as we all know, players' contracts end at the end of June. Um, if and if you're out of contract, could you play for a club if they have a fixture on the fifth of July? What happens if that player doesn't re-sign with the club or doesn't want to? What happens if the club doesn't want that player to stay beyond the thirtieth of June? There are so many complications that I personally want to see the season finish, no matter what. And, and even if that take, you know, even if it has to happen in September, I think a season once you start it should finish it before you begin the next one. But I do understand that for that to happen, if this thing goes as badly as we think it might go, um, there are going to have to be um, exceptions, you know, come down from up upon high to say, you know, we give clubs the right to play these players for an extra two or three weeks, whatever it takes. But um, I mean, I think it was the contract issues. We talked about this in the office this morning, and and loan players. I mean, loan players. It's different, isn't it? Because it's often a, a, a period, and you don't mm. it differs from when players have signed the end of the season. What does that all mean? So that obviously that's probably down to specifics. But the contract players, they were talking about it on um, Five Live over the weekend, and using the example of Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth, who's wanted by Arsenal. I think his contract's up on June the thirtieth. Well, if he for example, was to sign a pre-contract with someone else. Mm. Which he's legally entitled Yeah, to. absolutely. But then you get to the start of July, you, you think, well, well, who does he play for? Yeah. And, 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 if, and if Bournemouth have extended it, well, you know... Especially if Arsenal play I don't want to get injured. I don't want to get injured because yeah. I've got a dream, I've yeah. dream move. So it throws up so many. And it, I know it's all hypotheticals, but it, it's, you know, for the, for the league bosses, yeah. it's, 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 it's such a difficult situation. It's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, football exists in a little bubble legally. And a lot of what happens in football probably wouldn't stand up in a court of law in terms of employment practices. For instance, you know, refusing to, to sell someone, to, refusing to let people go to a job that they've applied for and agreed to, to, for a football club to stop someone doing that is no, no question would not stand up in a court of law. Football exists on a series of gentlemen's agreements. And in a situation like this, when the pressure comes to bear, you can see all those agreements cracking. Mm. For instance, if, if football's authorities say uh, the season's null and void, you can imagine the kind of lawsuits uh, and requests for compensation that are going to come from Leeds and West Brom. Uh, that's, it's calculated that that promotion's worth 170, 180 million quid. You can't imagine the Leeds owner's going to accept that on a, on a nod because football's gentlemen's agreements are in place and we've all agreed that uh, yeah, let's call this one quits. Uh, the, the ramifications of this could be incredible. You could see a lot of the political infrastructure of football unravelling quite easily. I mean, I, th- I think um, we've got on the contract issue, just, I mean, a classic example for us would be someone like Danny Ayala, wouldn't it, mm. for Middlesbrough? Um, his contract as it stands ends on the 30th of June. Now, if Middlesbrough have a game, like I say, on the 5th of July, whenever it is, you know, would he want to play? Would Middlesbrough want to commit themselves to another month of his salary? Um, as as you pointed out, he may have already agreed, in principle, to join another club as he's, as he's allowed to do as a um, as a foreign player. That he could he could have already um, nodded through a, a move to Holland or something like that without you know and and just ready to put pen to paper on that. So 
you know, who plays for Middlesbrough in those circumstances and what happens if Borough don't decide to keep Danny but he wants to go and play for um, another championship club who, who want to pay him and Borough have still got to but say it's Reading he's going to go to Reading and Borough have got a game to finish against Reading you know, can he play for Reading against Middlesbrough it's just a can of worms isn't it there is a I don't know if they could do this but it does feel the more you think about it there's a case for the games to be played um, you know, if, if if things move on and we get to sort of say, you know, the the the, the back end of April, early May, and clubs are in a situation where they haven't got any new cases, can games start to be played behind closed doors and and work work the way through the fixtures somehow, so we don't get up to this July the first deadline. Um, and I'm, you know, I think it's an awful idea to play games behind closed doors. Football—that's not what football's about. But we are in a situation. I, I can't, as Vic says, the. the the ramifications of voiding the season are phenomenal. Uh, you know that. You know Liverpool, for example. You know nailed on champions. Is somebody going to go Liverpool, on? Liverpool, Asterix. Yeah, Asterix. Yeah. There's, there's you, know, interesting the, you know you've got you've got clubs like Sheffield United and Wolves within touching distance of the Champions League, and what that would mean to those clubs is absolute unbelievable achievement and riches that 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 that, that would change those clubs fundamentally yeah, moving and, forward. And to suggest resuming the, the season in eight weeks' time when you've lost momentum and form and other teams have regrouped and got players back fit. I mean, that, that kind of uh, break in the season, you know, it's not, it, it doesn't have sporting integrity about it to just pick something up in six weeks' time. Did that suggestion of 22, 22 teams, which I've seen being bandied about over the weekend as well, 22 teams Premier League with League and West Brom being promoted and then uh, however many teams going down next year. The thing I think with that, although Leeds and West Brom are in such a... Um, Position of strength at the minute. We've we've seen we've seen Leeds squadron well, exactly. You know, this across season. every division, you see it, don't you? Where pressure takes hold and how things. You know, you look at how often do you look at league tables and then eight nine games later look and say, oh, quickly that's changed. Yeah. Only last week I was looking back at um, the league table when Borough beat Preston on New Year's Day and Hull were eighth a point off the play a point off the playoffs. Mm. They haven't won since. You never mm. know what team is going to go on a run of either of either extremes. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that, that I think is interesting is Borough put a statement out on Monday morning saying about training, the training is normal. Um, now, this isn't just limited to Borough, this is every, every team. But you're a manager or you're the sports science staff or, or the, the, the first team coaching staff. I think it's interesting as to how, how you approach training because yeah. you've got three weeks now, but then you don't know whether that three weeks is going to be six or seven weeks. So... For, you can't work on shape because realistically you don't know who your next game is going to be against. But for me, the other thing is is more intensity. Yeah. You know what? How how do you how do you figure out what intensity you should be yeah. training at? Because you're, you're training you to come to a peak, but you don't know when that's the peak it. Is. That's it. You don't you don't want to carry on as normal because there's every chance if if you if you're if the season doesn't finish until July, you're gonna you're gonna burn out. Yeah. And you can't even it. say to the players take a week off because there's nowhere they can fly to to get some sun. That's it. So it's so I think that's an interesting dilemma for for managers as well. I think it's for me it's a case of them keeping a level of fitness I mean obviously as you know we don't know if the season's going to kick off on April the 3rd, 4th we'd, it probably won't if, if the truth be told so they know that they've got at least three weeks before the next potential fixture so what you don't do as you say is knock hell out of them these next couple of weeks 
I would imagine it's just a case of ticking over at a certain level of fitness. And, and when they finally get the nod that they're going to play on a certain date, you ramp it up a little bit like you would towards the end of pre-seasons. I mean, these guys... But are, then you don't really lose that edge either. No, it's but, that but I, think it's un, I think it's unrealistic to expect players to play full-on, full-contact, 90-minute or 80-minute practice matches. Well, you wouldn't want them to. Because no. So that's, the, that's the, I yeah. think the dilemma. It's finding that balance. Yeah. At the moment, I think... I mean, the, the, the thing is, it's the same for everybody, isn't it? That 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 is... The one, the one, I guess, good thing you can say about this is it isn't affecting clubs in the north of England, but not the clubs in the south, um, for example. So that you know, you go, you're going to we've better go to Reading in a few weeks' time, and they find that you know they. They're, they're further down their season and they're, they're flying and they're fully fit and Borough have just come back after a lengthy break. So you're not going to have that. You're going to have every team in the same boat. But it is going to be, it is going to be difficult for the coach. It's, made, you know, it's human nature, isn't it? Those players know they're not going to be kicking the ball in anger for at least three weeks. So it, it's keeping them focused, it's keeping the interest. And as soon as you get a, a case at a club, whether it's Middlesbrough, whether it's, whether it's Wigan, whoever... That club will have to shut down its training ground, and presumably those players, those players will have to be given a program. The, the players who aren't affected either go into self isolation, or you know, it, again, they, they, that's the big issue, isn't it? You know, if, it, there was a, there's been a few interesting pieces this week. I was reading one, a couple on the Athletic. One I'll get onto, but one over the weekend was about um, Dean Smith at Villa. There were suggestions before the break that he, they were considering a managerial change, and they were saying like, could. Could a club now see this three-week break as a chance yeah. to get to get a new manager in and give him three weeks on the training ground? Which see, but you know, for, for different clubs, it works different ways, doesn't it? If you're, yeah. as you say, Chef United, obviously you're after absolutely good as you want the momentum. But if you're, I don't know, a team Hull, for example, well, they're probably you know, not the break, that there's any yeah. good to come of this, but they're probably welcome the break to yeah. gather their thoughts and to think, right, let's go again. I mean, they're, they're always going to be positives. I mean, for instance, Borough might, next time they play, they might have Patrick Roberts. Fully fit. Fully fit. Mm. So there's always those things. Uh, but I do think you lose momentum, you lose cohesion as a team unless you, you're fully focused. And we know that it, it takes um, <coughs> several weeks of pre-season to, to get a team back sharp. We always talk about match sharpness rather than physical fitness. I mean, we're, we've always got the championship to worry about, and there's nine fixtures remaining. You'd have to think at a push; those fixtures could be squeezed into the back end of May and June, if needs be. If, as you say, the Euros are cancelled, which it would make perfect sense. They've got to be. Yeah. Then you've got the issue of the FA Cup. I mean, if, if, if we were Middlesbrough sat here now, looking forward to the quarter-final tie against somebody in the FA Cup. I'd be pretty disappointed if that seed camp, you know, if that was taken away but, from. But with Newcastle being in that position, it's a fantastic quite, development. I'm yeah. quite welcome at the moment of that. But competition you, yeah, but you know season. what I mean. You know, for a lot of clubs, and as it happens, I think they're all all eight teams are Premier League clubs anyway, aren't they? Um, but there's those ramifications, um, and then there's the Champions League, which again isn't our problem. But there's a hell of a lot of money wrapped up in it, well, and, well, and, and the TV companies. You know, if you're if you're BT Sport and you've got to look forward to the quarters, the semis, and the and the final of the Champions League, and the money that that will bring in terms of ad revenue, in terms of potential new subscribers. But the other side of that coin is people cancelling their subscriptions. Well, I was going to say yeah, that. Because... I mean, I, I put Sky Sport. I've seen that many jokes about Premier League years on on Twitter over the last few days, but. That, that was all that was on on Saturday. I often think with, with, with Sky Sports, they do, they do rely on the live sport because they could do so much more with documentaries well, like, and that sort I of mean, thing. BT, those, BT, those, the 30 for 30 are superb, aren't they? BT are class, yeah. Yeah, I think Sky does rely on live sport more than, say, for example, BT Sport. And, but but and, subscribers are going to think, well, hold yeah. on, I'm not getting what well, I'm I paid for. I'm talking about cancelling mine, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
There's um, no cricket on, for example. And then there's the financial implications, obviously, for clubs further down the leagues. Yeah. I, I, I watched an interview with, I think it was Rochdale's chief exec on the Beeb on, on Friday night. Tranmere's uh, Mark Palios has been talking over the weekend. They reckoned up to half a billion pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the match day revenue is, is, is going to be a massive hit for those clubs, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you've got that situation. You'd like to think the football family could could find some money, whether it's from the, the Premier League prize money pot for next season at the Gibbons Club in the bottom two divisions, £500,000 each is a, a gracious payment to get through. Obviously, with, with caveats, it's actually spent on the right thing. It doesn't just go into work. An owner's back pocket to decorate his front room. You know what I mean? That that's got to be, um, you know, ways and means of making sure that money is spent on football matters. But I think the football family has to help because, as you say, that that take away that gate money for the last five six games of a season, that's huge for them. And they've still got to pay the players, of course, and still got to, you know, their their permanent staff have to be paid. Obviously, the casual staff, you know, they'll just be hired as and when. And even for a club like Middlesbrough, it'll have an effect. Um, it's it's just is it an unprecedented situation and you know when when the, when it does get going it's going to feel really weird isn't it if let's say the first, the next Middlesbrough game that we cover is Swansea at home on on you know the back end of May it's going to feel really weird for Shorts, us for the fans. Shorts, t-shirts, and well, fifteen in the riverside. Yeah. I mean it's it I mean, is it's, it's, it's worth pointing out that a lot of lot of clubs even in the Championship are, are living hand to mouth. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, there's very few clubs in the Championship make a profit. And so many of them are dependent on uh, keeping the match day revenue ticking over. And, and the, there will be a lot of clubs now thinking, if this goes on, how do we pay our players? And, and it's ob- if, if it extends, it's obviously... I mean, it'll be interesting to see what effect it has on next season. Does it shorten pre-season? And then, and then that, you know, what's such, a big su- what's such a big summer for Borough in terms of rebuilding? Yeah. If it dramatically shortens that period... It dramatically shortens what's a crucial period in, yeah. in Borough's, you know, the position they're in. It is a massive summer, and it players go in. They're going to have to bring bring certain players in. So it'll be interesting on the ramifications that's for next season. There's an interesting piece, the second one on the Athletic. Uh, Simon Hughes talks about basically um, it being an, it being an, uh, a test for summer football. He talks about how um, the number of disal- sorry postponed games in the winter has soared over the last few years because of climate change and how there is a case to be made for moving summer to, moving football to the summer and how there's obvious um, you know it would have obvious opposition but that and he lists the, the kind of why it could and should happen um, but the problem is if you if you put the start of next season back well then. It has an effect on. Is it the FIFA World Club Cup that's going to be yeah. introduced and, next and the summer? World Cup. If you're playing football, but then, but then it well, moves on. Well, but it's the Winter World the next Cup. World so Cup, then, yeah. if that goes yeah. back, so it kind of moves everything back. So the knock-on effect for years to come is yeah. huge, isn't it? I mean, I don't. I personally, I, I mean, I think this is a classic example of how much you miss football in the middle of the season when it's not on. And I, I mean, I, kids were. I can grow up remembering really bad winters when football would be wiped out for three, four weeks at a stretch. And it was like it had an arm removed, you know. Particularly in those days when there wasn't much TV sport to start with. It's not like now where you've got wall-to-wall live football. Um, I think hopefully what comes out of this is that maybe the football, the, the football clubs start to appreciate maybe a little bit more how much you, how important fans are. We saw that with the games behind closed doors. It, it's it's a non-event, frankly. Football behind closed doors is just it's an artificial. It's it, you know it, it it loses everything. You know the idea once over that you know. Football would be the televised sport, and that fans would be peripheral, which has been 
and also the fans probably realising that they realise how much the, the football means to them in terms of a, you know, your weekly or fortnightly fix of football it's um, it maybe just help both sides appreciate each other a little bit more um, but as you say it's where, where, where you go forward in terms of scheduling football I can't see any time soon football becoming a summer sport um, and I don't think it needs to frankly the winters are mild enough these days anyway normally um, you know very very rarely you lose more than one or two games a winter to to, to, to anything you know at, at the top level anyway it's a little bit worse further down the chain um, I, I mean I've always there should probably be some sort of proper winter break but as you say for scheduling things like World Cups in winter which they are for Qatar and, and, and the World Club Cup which you know, there's more and more events that are really have no real impact on the divisions below the Premier League are affecting English football. And you kind of think, well, you know, if you want to have a club cup, go and do it, but don't bother us with it. Uh, we, we are braced for plenty of slower Newsday Gazette tweets in the next few weeks, um, of which there will be many. So we were only talking this morning, Vic, about you know if there is anything there that you want us to discuss over the next few weeks, and please do just do just let us know. We'll be running the usual Q and A's, um, but if there are any other issues or topics or or, or type piece, type of pieces, interviews that you want us to do, then let us know. And and if you see other podcasts going out and about, we're going to uh, republish some of our old classics. We've got Jonathan Woodgate Part One, which you did when for. Uh... About February 2017, just before I came back to the club, mm. yeah, I had a chat with him in the old boardroom at the <coughs> Gazette before we moved over here to Hudson Quay. And uh, it was really interesting, actually. Obviously, a lot of things have changed since then. He was working for Liverpool at the time, as we know, um, on their scouting setup. And within a couple of weeks, he was working for Middlesbrough, Tony Pulis' um, um, time in charge. And um, sorry, that would be, well, be Steve Agnew, 2017, wouldn't it? February 